planning board meeting to order. Board members Cisneros, would you mind leading us in the pledge? under God, indivisible, with the liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Ms. McCartney, would you mind calling roll call? Here. Here. Oh. Here. Uh, board member Cisneros? Here. Curtis? Here. Ariza? Present. Sahiba? I think he has an excuse absence. Here. Okay. Thank you. Is your mic working? I'll just reflect in the record that uh, all board members are uh, present with the exception of board member Sahiba who has an excused absence. Thank you. Do we have any, um, we have a quorum. Yes, there is a quorum. Thank you. Do we have any agenda changes? Uh, no agenda changes from staff. Thank you. Um, now moving on to item number three, non-agenda public comments. Do we have any um, public speakers that would like to address the board for anything that's not on the agenda? No. Okay, thank you. Moving on to the cons consent calendar, item 4A. Um, and for B, um, do we, can we make them as one motion for both of them? Yes, to okay. approve the consent calendar, that could be one motion. Okay. I move approval of the consent calendar. Thank you. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? No? All right, great. Um, the consent calendar is approved. Moving on to item number, regular agenda item 5A. Um, this is 1019 Morton Street. Do we have a presentation? Yes, I'd like to introduce uh, Deirdre McCartney, planner two, to give the uh, staff presentation. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, President Ruiz and board members. My name is Deirdre McCartney and I'm a planner with the Planning Department, Planning, Building and Transportation Department. Item 5A is design review and a variance for our residents. The applicant and homeowner, Donald Thomas and Laura Kuhlman have applied for design review for a 1,290 square foot second story addition at a Victorian cottage located at 1019 Morton Street. Because the, the project involves upper story exterior modifications to an existing building, <clears throat> excuse me, it requires a design review approval pursuant to Alameda Muni Code, section 30-37.2. The applicant also requests a variance to allow raising the, non, the existing non-conforming roof by 12 inches from 32 feet, six inches to 33 feet, six inches where the maximum height in the R1 district is 30 feet. Ms. McCartney, sorry to interrupt. Um, 
we have a little technical issues. The screens are not showing the plans. Uh, James, upstairs, um, can you check on the screens on the dais? Yeah. Okay. Apparently, they're, they're not on. Yeah. Um, hers is on. Okay. Okay, now they're on. Thank you. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Sorry, the proposed design utilizes, utilizes, wait, let me go back um, to that height. Ap the applicant requests a variance to allow raising the existing non-conforming roof by 12 inches from 32 feet 6 inches to 33 6 inches, where the maximum height in the R1 district is 30 feet, and also to allow constructing the additions at the increased height of 33 and a half feet. The proposed design utilizes the existing attic space and extends the roof line by replacing the hip ends with new gabled ends. New intersecting gabled additions at both sides provide additional headroom for habitable space. The proposed design also includes a turret at the front corner for a sitting area off the primary bedroom and a new front balcony, which visually breaks up the new front gable. The proposed design incorporates building elements such as steep roof lines, gables, and bay windows, details such as wood brackets and barge boards, and materials such as V-groove wood siding and octagonal wood shingles that are characteristic of the Victorian style of the building and other buildings in the Franklin Park Gold Coast neighborhood. Staff finds that the pro proposed design, massing, scale, and character and details of the addition are all consistent with the design review findings in the Alameda Muni Code section 30-37.5. However, the addition which increases the height of the non-conforming roof by another foot is not compliant with the zoning ordinance and requires a variance. Staff finds that the project does not meet the findings one and two as stated in AMC section 30-21, which are there are exceptional or extraordinary circumstances applying to the property involved or to the pro proposed use of the property and because of such exceptional or extraordinary circumstances, the literal enforcement of specified provisions of this section would result in practical difficulty or unnecessary hardship, such as to deprive the applicant of a substantial property right possessed by other owners of property in the same class of district. Staff finds that the project does not meet the findings because there are no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances that apply to the physical characteristics of the subject property that would result in a hardship. The property is 75,000 square feet. It's 50 feet wide by 100 feet deep and exceeds the minimum lot area in the R1 district by 2,500 square feet, where the minimum lot size is 5,000 square feet. The use of the property is a single family home, which is consistent with the intended use of the zoning designation and does not deprive the owner of a substantial property right. And by keeping the existing non-conforming height, the ceiling heights, although lower than the applicant wants, the lowest ceiling height of the upper rooms would be eight foot six, sloping up to nine foot six in the bedrooms and seven foot six, sloping up to nine foot six in the bathrooms, which exceeds the requirements for habitable space. Although staff believes that the variance findings cannot be made, staff interprets Alameda Muni Code section 30-5.7M to allow the attic expansion at the existing non-conforming height of 32 feet 6 inches by extending the existing ridge, and staff also recommends interpretation of the exception to apply to the side gable additions. 
There are no major adverse effects since the subject property has 20 feet between neighboring buildings and a backyard setback of approximately 43 feet. So there is no significant shading and there's no designated views in the area that would be blocked. Also, the existing ridge and pitch continuations comply with the City of Alameda Building Code. The design allows for ceiling heights that exceed the, the minimum seven-foot ceiling height required for habitable space um, as required by the California Residential Code. Um, and it exceeds this height by at least one foot six in the bedrooms and at least six inches in the bathrooms. In conclusion, staff finds that the proposed project meets all the findings for design review approval but does not meet all the findings for a variance to the maximum height limit of the R1 district. Staff recommends the planning board approve the design review application with the exceptions set forth in Alameda Muni Code 30-5.7M. This will allow the applicant to continue at the existing 32 foot six inch height and the applicant would need to revise their plans prior to issuance of a building permit so the addition is one foot lower to match the existing roof heights. Um, and President Ruiz, um, Mr. Thomas, the applicant, is here to give a presentation. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that. Okay, so why don't we let him do the presentation and then we can open up for, for questions. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Madam President and board members, uh, this is my wife, Laura Kuhlman. She's handing you uh, a slide. Uh, it was not reproduced correctly in our presentation, and so we're handing out a corrected copy now. Together with proposed resolutions, uh, our own proposed resolutions, which vary from those you've received from the city, as well as a letter that we recently received from the Historical Preservation Society, excuse me, the Architectural Preservation Society, endorsing our project, including the proposed variance at a height of 33 and a half feet. Madam President and members of the board, my name is Donald Thompson. I'm here with my wife, Laura Kuhlman. Our architect, Saul Pichardo, is participating remotely. We are extremely grateful for the plans he has prepared, which we hope you will allow us to build. Our home is a single-story Queen Anne Victorian on Franklin Park at 1019 Morton Street. It is shown at the center of this slide. We are asking for a variance to raise the roof by one foot from the current level. The variance is necessary to add a second story that will respect the architectural style and historic character of the home and that will fit within our neighborhood. The average Victorian on Franklin Park is five feet taller than ours, roughly the level of that red line. The houses next door are nearly seven feet taller than ours. In 1958, 
the city enacted a 30-foot height limit in the R1 district, roughly the level of that green line, which is why we now require a variance in order to build to the level of that blue line. It is a variance of one foot only. It does not present any hardship to anyone. It does not impose any harm on anyone. And it is necessary to alleviate a hardship to us. This is a bird's eye view of Franklin Park. Our home is outlined in red. The red crosses indicate other Victorians on the park, which we've surveyed. The yellow crosses indicate colonial revival style homes, which are comparably tall. Let's look at some of the Victorians. I'm going to move through these quickly. Uh, so please take particular note of the roof pitch and the window proportions, particularly on the second level compared to the first level. This last one includes a second story addition that was done without a height variance. Notice the flat pitched roof and the windows that do not match the originals. This is what we are hoping to avoid. And the design review manual tells us how. It includes three guiding parameters. One, consider the neighborhood context. Two, match the existing structure and three, preserve historic character. I'd like to focus on the sentence under match existing structure, which reads, the massing, style, fenestration, and design elements should appear as integral elements of the existing structure. And I'd like to focus in particular on the word fenestration, which refers to windows. The design review manual says that a Queen Anne style home such as ours should have a vertical emphasis and rectangular windows. Windows that look like this, an image also taken from the design review manual that is a typical Victorian double hung wood window. This slide shows the existing windows on our home at left. They are nearly three times taller than they are wide. In the center, you will see the windows at a ridge height of 32 and a half feet. They're only 1.7 times taller than they are wide. And on the handout in front of you, you will also see the windows at a 33 and a half foot ridge height. They are 2.2 times taller than they are wide. That's the difference that a one foot variance makes. Although it may seem small in the abstract, it has a significant impact on the windows and on the look and feel of the entire home. I sincerely hope that we can build this project with the windows shown on your handouts at right. But I also want to be clear that we do not intend to build it with the windows shown at the center. And that's why we're here to ask you for a variance.
As the planning board, you have the authority to grant a variance. And here are the findings that you should make. First, exceptional circumstances apply to the property. The houses next door are on average six foot nine inches taller than ours. The average Victorian on Franklin Park is five foot taller than ours. A Queen Anne Victorians, and all of the Victorians on Franklin Park are Queen Anne's, have a vertical emphasis, tall windows, and a steep roof. Over the half of the houses on the park exceed the height limit, and all of them were built before the height limit was imposed. Second, the law as it exists, if strictly applied, would impose a hardship or practical difficulty on us as the applicants and homeowners. Simply put, it is impossible to add a second story at a 30-foot level or 32-and-a-half-foot level that matches the first story, the surrounding homes, or the Queen Anne style. Even at 32-and-a-half feet, the second story windows would be stout compared to the windows on the first level, and the second story ceiling would be low compared to the first story. Uh, I, in the bedroom, the floor would be, or the ceiling, would be as low as seven and a half feet. That is lower than, than I think you were informed earlier. As low as seven and a half feet in the bedroom compared to 12 foot ceilings on the main level. Finally, there will be no detriment to the public interest if this variance is granted. The next door neighbors support a variance and no one else is affected. The Alameda Architectural Preservation Society also supports a variance, and we are grateful to that, for that. Shadow studies show no adverse impact, and the city agrees. Finally, quality design and historical preservation serve the public. Can I leave for one additional minute to address a final slide? Um, we, did we inform him of, of his time slot? Yes. We did, okay. Applicant so. has five minutes. That was the five minutes. Up to the board if you want to grant him more time. I'll, I'll just leave it here. Just, just, Madam President, um, I would like to request that we give the applicant one more minute. Any objections? You may have one more minute. Thank you very much. Our final slide includes legal authorities that support the granting of a variance. According to the California Court of Appeal, a variance may allow owners to build homes of a similar size and scale to the homes of their neighbors. A variance may serve aesthetic, architectural, and historic objectives. A variance does not require physical disparity in lot sizes or dimensions and a height variance may find support in neighboring houses of non-conforming heights. We respectfully request a variance, and we gratefully appreciate your consideration. Thank you. Thank you. With that said, um, I would like to open for board questions, and then follow by public comments, and then board comments. Um, I see you, but Board member, Vice President Hom has a hand, so okay. you go first. Uh, thank you, staff, for the presentation. Thank you, applicant, for the presentation also. First, just a couple of uh, quick questions for the applicant, if I may. Um, you submitted a um, proposed 
um, draft resolution, revised draft resolution, is the only change is to regarding the 33 and six, six inch language or the, the second whereas, or is there other proposed changes in this resolution? I'd be glad to provide a red line showing our changes to the city's draft resolutions. Okay. I can tell you the primary changes are to the variance findings. The variance we, findings. We've included findings necessary to grant a variance. Okay. And we've changed uh, the, the height limit of the project from 32 and a half to 33 and a half. Okay. So it's the 33, six inches, and then the associated findings for the variance that you that you're men proposing amendments. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, to it 33 and a half. Yeah, it would have been nice to have a red line copy because I, I can't tell what sure the amendments not. are. And the um, second question, you mentioned that your neighbors uh, expressed support for this variance. Do you have uh, in writing um, the support of your neighbors or do you submit that to the planning staff? I, I, I do, yes, sir. And, and I've included it in the slide deck here. It should be on your screen now. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, this letter is from our neighbors at 1015 Morton Street okay. uh, to our south. And here is a letter from our neighbors at 1023 Morton Street to our north. Okay, thank you. Okay, and then um, I just have a question for staff regarding the adjacent dwellings. Um, are those, the applicant mentioned that they are exceeding the height limit. And when I look in the photo, it looked like they were too. And that was gonna be one of my questions. So are these, existing structures and neighbor structures, are they um, non-conforming and basically grandfathered in because they pre-existed the um, height limit change or did those, did any of those properties also receive a variance? Just wondering about the history. They're existing non-conforming. Existing non-conforming, yeah. sorry. Okay, okay. And uh, just one detailed question, the, does the, proposed for the 33.6 foot proposals, does the slope of the roofs generally match the slope of the adjacent structures for consistency? Yes, that's correct. So that if, okay, okay, thank you. Those are my question, thanks. Thank you. Ms. McCartney, I'm gonna ask you to speak really close to the mic because it's not picking up at all. Uh, okay. Thank, thank you. you. Um, Board Member Curtis. Thank you. I have a question for the applicant. The presentation that was made with the plans, have the plans been completed for this at 33 feet? Have the structural calculations been done and everything ready for working drawings right now? So that if, if, if you had to build it at the lower rate, would you have to redo the plans and redo the structural calcs to make a determination? I, I'm going to refer that to my architect, to our architect, Saul Pichardo, if he's available. But I, just off the top of my head, I don't believe we've done structural calculations yet because... But the plans, the, the working drawings are pretty much done for this height. Only, only what you have uh, in, in the plan set. We were planning to go through design review first before preparing the working documents. Uh, simply because we wanted to know if we'd be able to build. Got it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other board questions? Um, I have a few, and one is for the architect, if we can promote him. And let me know when he's available. Um, 
and another one is for the applicant. So maybe I can start with Mr. Thompson. Thank you for your time and the detailed explanation. Um, and I appreciate the window comparisons. My question is, have you done the study of the entire elevation with the lower roof? And was that made available to the staff? We have looked at it internally. Uh, so there was a design done for a lower roof, not that, to That lower. is correct. And I should add that earlier in the process, we submitted plans to the city at a 32 and a half foot uh, ridge height for a pre-review. Mm -hmm. And we were told they did not comply with uh, the design review standards. And at that point, we went back to the drawing board. Uh, we attempted to modify the plans to comply with the standards. And that's when we came to realize that we would need a height variance in order to comply with the design standards. Based uh, on the windows. Pardon me? For the windows. Uh, f for the windows and otherwise, but primarily the windows. Okay. Thank you. Um, and President the question. Yes. yes. I, have, I have a couple questions. Sure. Well, well I'll so let you go first and I'll finish. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, I, if you weren't done. No, I, I just, I have a question for, usually I go last and <laughs> that's okay. Um, is the, has the architect been promoted? Yes, he okay. has. His so, name is um, Saul Picardo. Mr. Picardo, um, question for you. On the drawings, I know that 32, six inches are referenced, but I cannot locate that dimension on the elevations. So can you elaborate on how that dimension is taken? Sure, President. The 32 foot six is relative to a site survey, a, to a topographic survey, and that's off grade. The 32.6 is the reference point of the main floor, which we're calling zero, and grade, which varies around the site, is approximately five foot 10 inches, five foot 11 in some cases. Uh, so that's where the 32 foot six uh, ultimate uh, uh, dimension is coming off of grade. So um, follow-up question, what is the overall topography variance along the perimeter of the existing building? There was a, there was a difference of one and a quarter inches as we took points, as a surveyor took points around the home from all four sides. Okay, so it's a relative flat, relatively flat site. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Board member sure. T, thank you. Thank you. Uh, either staff or the architect. So the original plans that were sent back um, was, if that was related to the, what eventually became the shed roof, what was the design prior to that? Initially, we proposed a second story. Uh, once again, our team following the Alameda design guidelines. And that was initially presented to staff and we were informed that that would not be a project that could be supported. So what you're seeing is uh, a third, actually perhaps fourth iteration of the second level addition that Don and Laura uh, had uh, basically hired us to provide. 
So, uh, but initially, yes, we looked at a second story addition, uh, given that the addition would not be higher than the neighboring properties, it would be in the context of the neighborhood, architectural and historical fabric. Um, but again, that was something that, that would not be supported. So we went back literally to the drawing board for about a year to develop something that remained within the context of the historic and architectural fabric, um, but also met the general requirements of the ordinance. Um, there was a question about whether or not we looked at the 32 foot six height, um, and we did. And clearly the proportions of the windows in that iteration did not meet the standards that, again, my team, we're trying to follow the standards and preserve the architectural fabric of the existing home. Uh, hence, we're looking for the variance for this increased height. Okay, thank you. Uh, for the staff member, just, just to be clear, the tower height is falling under the exception for um, tower spires, et cetera, that allows up to 25 feet above. So it, it is acceptable as it is, just for the tower? That is correct. Okay. And that has a requirement that you can't use it for a bedroom. Uh, yes, is there it, some sort of architectural distinction or some other thing that distinguishes that area from the rest of the bedroom? They're calling it a sitting room. There's this weird line the there. Is that, the, a, is that a step up or is that a roof projection? How, how, how is it being designated so that you don't put a bed over there? The way we understand that code provision, we, we can't use the area above uh, the 30-foot level for a bedroom. In other words, in this case, really the top of the cupola. Uh, we don't see any, any limitation preventing us from using the floor as a bedroom or uh, the, I mean, the, the, the cupola itself. It is part of the bedroom. Mind you, we don't intend to put a bed in that area. It's it's right on the park. Um, we right. You could Thank see you. our our bed from all angles. So we're not going to use that as as our as our bedroom. But uh, it's part of the bedroom. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, did you look at? May, a, I, may I add a comment to that? Sure. So the intent of that historically, it's it's a it's a sunroom, it's a sitting room, it's a reading room, it's somewhere you can sit. Perhaps we might design benches in that space or have a cozy chair or, or somewhere to sit. But uh, in answer to the question, the lines on this drawing, the plan, those are actually hatch lines indicating um, some of the roof lines there or the ceiling line. Yeah, so that's not a that's not a line relative to the floor plan. Okay, thank you. Um, Okay. Did, did you evaluate where the shed roof between the two gables starts at the ridge and goes down? Because you're going from a 9 to 12 to a 2 to 12. 2 to 12 is pretty shallow. Yes. So the, the shed roof, what's driving the shed roof from an architectural perspective, historical perspective, is the line at the eave. And so that's the primary, that was, that was really the subject of how we analyzed this roof. And that was a really a challenging roof there. Um, and then we took sort of the minimum pitch that we could, uh, of course, by, by building code. Um, and that's, that 
basically translated where that roof hits the main roof, the proposed main roof. Okay. Uh, so you didn't evaluate a situation then where the shed roof went all the way up to the ridge to give you extra height in that area? We, so that was something we considered, but it actually was quite odd in the south, which is more apparent in the north elevations. Yeah, I'm, I'm just mainly looking, I, I don't, is north at the top, I hope? No. Yes, and, uh, north is, is to the left there in this, in this plan. Okay. And I, yeah, I'm looking at the north and south side, just the area where the skylight is in the shed area and the, the corresponding on right. the other side, just between those two gable, four gables? Yes. Okay, thank you. I have a follow-up question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Memphis is narrow, go okay. for it. I'm probably gonna take it a very different direction and um, it's uh, probably a silly question, but um, at the, the, variant, uh, the findings for the variances, there was an explanation in the staff report for one and two, um, but really for number three, where the granting of the variance will not um, be detrimental to public welfare or interest to persons or property. So um, I, I guess like what I'm, I'm curious if uh, we could allow for the 33 and a half using variance number three, or um, if I understood it correctly. If I may respond to that, no. So, uh, board member Cisneros, uh, the f findings for variance, there are three findings and the board would have to make all three findings okay. in order to approve the variance. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up question on the um, two to 12 slope on the roof. What roofing material are you thinking about using it over there? So again, Primarily, we're going to maintain the original uh, slope for the addition, and it's these two areas, the two and 12. Uh, I'm proposing shingles. Now, um, that's a minimum slope for shingle. Um, we've talked to our roofing consultant. Um, there's going to be a, a modified roofing laid beneath that, which is the primary waterproofing membrane and the shingles will be more of the element to tie the roof together architecturally. So um, it will be the same asphalt shingle, um, which serves as, as, of course, a waterproof barrier, but um, I'm relying more on the um, modified beneath that. Good, yeah, because um, you're gonna have a hard time finding a warranty on that. <laughs> yes, so, yes, thank of you. course. <laughs> Uh, I felt strongly that we couldn't leave it as such because it would be clearly a different roof. Um, you, you, you can pick it up when you're at the park, uh, sort of in the middle of the park. You won't necessarily see that when you're on the sidewalk, but it was something that I, I did consider. Um, so, yes. Thank you. Any other board questions for Member Holmes? Yeah, thank you. Um, Follow-up to an earlier question. Um, as I recall, our design review guidelines for single-family homes in the area of compatibility and staff refresh me if I get it wrong. But I think uh, the idea is you look at the homes, like three homes to either side of the house and then homes across the street. Is that correct or is it, did I get the number wrong? 
Um, there's not a specific quantity in the guide to residential design, and you might be thinking about our standard objective standards, yeah, yeah, which yeah. don't apply to this type of project. Okay, just what, what is that? Just uh, for but it's it's okay. a uh, it's a linear feet, 250 feet, which is generally okay. about the entire block. Okay, okay. Um, in looking at, I know it doesn't apply, but when you evaluate it for the person, and this applies to the findings that I'm trying to make. How many of the homes in the proximity of this proposed house exceeds the, uh, the zoning height limit? Did you determine that? I can speak to that issue based on our survey. Uh, the answer is uh, of the Victorians on Franklin Park, there are at least 11 that exceed the height limit. Uh, and in addition, there are at least three colonial style revival or colonial revival style homes that also exceed the height limit. Uh, that's based on personal observation. Those, those homes are shown at the very end of our, oh, uh oh, they've disappeared. Uh, but there are 26 homes total on the park, and more than half of them exceed the height limit. He, okay. Here are the oh, colonial, oh, uh, no, we'll go back. These are the colonial revival style homes, which we did not survey, but clearly exceed the height limit. Okay. And when you say Franklin Park, what area are you describing? Uh, the Can homes. Can you pull up that side map? I thought you had a really uh, yeah, nice on, on on the park, literally on the park. I'll go back to the slide. Okay, sorry, I missed the slide when you were making the presentation. No problem. We moved quickly. Oh. That, that's the one. Oh, okay. So the ones with uh, if I'm reading red, the ones with a with a red plus, uh, you're saying those all exceed the. Height limit? Not exactly, no. Uh, those are the homes we surveyed, in, uh, are the ones with the red plus. The ones, and they're all Queen Anne Victorian style homes. The ones with the yellow plus are colonial revival style homes, which mm -hmm. we did not survey, but we know to exceed the height limit. I'll show you the results of our survey. Uh, and keep in mind that our house was surveyed at 32 and a half feet. And this letter shows the heights of the other homes in our survey sample. Uh, um, can you zoom in a little bit? Look here? there, you'll see it more clearly. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Miss oh. no, um, McCartney, would you mind, is there any way you can zoom into that chart on the left-hand side a little bit? I, I, I believe that all of, of the homes in our survey um, exceed the height limit with the exception of 1014 Peru Street. Okay. Oh, and, and 1011 uh, Morton Street is actually one inch under the height limit as well. Okay, thank you. I have, Madam President. Thank you. I have a yes, board member Curtis. Um, this is this question is, is is pretty much for staff. You know, we've we've now spent a lot of time on on uh, on, on looking at this. In my mind, 
in my mind, the, the improvements for this one foot far exceed the deficit, and that, and it, it, it adds to the neighborhood. There's no objection by the neighbors. So, you know, your staff, tell us how, and I'm not speaking for the board, I'm just speaking for myself, but how do we approve something like this and, and get it done? So um, I'll, I'll just kind of explain the regulatory framework and how the zoning ordinance works. But, but no, just a second. Yeah. It, 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 it's before us, right? So we can make a decision either to approve it or disapprove it. If we want to approve it, as staff, how do we approve it? Because it's obviously, common sense tells us, tells me that it's, it's, it's a good thing and it's an addition to the neighborhood and it, it doesn't really do any harm, but it, does, it benefits the city, benefits the neighbors, and benefits the applicant. So given those three points, common sense dictates there's got to be a way to, to, to approve it if everybody is in accord on this board. If it isn't, then we've got another, another thing. But how do we do it? Otherwise, you know, everybody's really working hard. If there's no way of doing it, then we've got a problem. So the way to do it would be to make the findings for a variance. The zoning code makes it very clear that in the R1 district, your height limit is 30 feet. The zoning code also recognizes that there are existing buildings and historic buildings that already exceed the height limit, and therefore the 30-5.7M, that section was specifically created by your predecessors on the planning board to accommodate for these sort of situations. And what it does is it sets parameters for when these exceptions can apply. And so um, and it also, uh, and then the other, another section in the code also allows for height exceptions for architectural features such as turrets. So the parameters are already set forth in the municipal code, factoring that you would have similar situations. In this case, um, the applicant is wanting to go beyond even those parameters and exceptions that are set up in the zoning ordinance. And so therefore, if this board were to want to approve it, you would have to make the findings for a variance. Number one, that there are some unusual and exceptional uh, circumstance that apply to the property. And that depriving this applicant uh, from doing so would be depriving them of a right that is already um, uh, established in the neighborhood. And then the last finding is that in approving it, you would find that there would be no harm or injury. I think the, the third finding is not the issue. The, the, the question really is findings one and two. And also just keep in mind that um, height was an issue that also came up uh, as recent as a few months ago as the board was talking about the housing element. And, and people were fearful that, oh, okay, well, density bonus, you get really tall buildings. And so you know, this really speaks to the integrity of our zoning code and why we have height limits and the exceptions that are built into that framework. So those are things that I think this board should consider. I mean, architecturally, we think the design is great. We appreciate the homeowners for investing in the property, but you know, we, we, well, we don't. But the, the difference, there's a big difference with this. This house is a run to the litter of all the houses that are there. I mean, the house sits there with everything about it. So what it does is it improves the, 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 the character of the neighborhood. I mean, the problem that yeah. I'm having that with this. That is not debating. I mean, this is up to the. All right. To so, so, how do we make that determination? Well, uh, that's my question. That's my frustration. And, 
And I, I've been on this board for six years, and I gotta tell you that, that this one is really frustrating me because I, for the life of me, I can't see, you know, to me, it, it's a no-brainer. And maybe to other people it isn't, you know, but to me it is. So we've gotta figure out, it's good for the applicant, it's good for the city, it's good for the neighborhood. So how do we make it happen? I appreciate, I appreciate your comments, Member Curtis, and the short answer to your question is uh, sign our proposed resolutions. Uh, we've tried to make this easy for you. We've drafted them. We've included all of the required elements. All you have to do is review them, and if you agree with them, sign them, or pass them, rather. Okay. I'm going to ask you to I'm done. sit down. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that's a, if there are no further board questions, uh, we'll have time for uh, this is board questions, not question. board comments, board questions. Do we have any board questions for the staff or the applicant? There will be a time for comment. Thank you. That's open up for public comments. I have four um, speaker slips, and one of them is uh, the co-owner, co Laura Coleman. Okay, I would like you to um, call the speaker and let the next person know so that they can be ready. And do we have any speakers online, Ms. McCartney? No, we don't. Okay, so um, that's a call the first speaker and inform the second speaker to be ready. And then um, this first speaker can start when the timer starts. Um, President Ruiz, I made a mistake. There is one speaker who has their hand raised. So um, it is, my understanding is the staff makes a decision who goes first. Okay, um, Laura Coleman. I'm sorry? You want Saul to go first? Okay. All right, I wasn't counting Saul. I'm sorry, I thought you had um, given your, your talk. So you would like to um, present um, speak for three minutes? Yes, I would Correct. like to. Okay, then why don't you go ahead and Laura, you can be next. Thank you. So, please, please wait until beginning. the timer starts. Yes. Thank you. Board members, I, I just again want to reiterate the, the efforts that we've made on this particular project, and I, I don't want to beat the horse, but it is important, I think, uh, to, to recognize that there is a value in this particular property. It is one property that within the context of the houses around the park that does stand out in terms of its scale relative to the neighborhood. Um, we've worked pretty diligently, as I said, over the past year to create a project that meets Laura and Don's family needs as well as fitting in in the context of the design guidelines and the zoning ordinance. Uh, I wanna stress that there was a lot of effort and time put into the elevations and the window heights are very important for the Queen Anne Victoria. I'm looking at this from the historic perspective and the 32 foot six uh, limit, which is current, which is the existing height, uh, really had negative impacts on the house as a whole. And frankly, it was difficult for me to sign or stamp that as a project. So the variance is very much a part of a group effort between the clients and I really trying to preserve what's there because I'm looking at the house in terms of the current use, but also the next 136 to 200 years. So 
the hardship, if we're looking at a hardship, yes, there's a hardship for the clients if we're having to maintain the 32 foot six, it's relative to the window heights. But I also believe there's a greater hardship, which is the hardship to the building, which is a historic property that, again, uh, historic preservation has supported the project in its current state at 33 foot six. So I'm looking at it in terms of the current use and then the future use for the next several hundred years, which is an asset to the city of Alameda and to the park there as a whole. Uh, with that said, um, I, I've, I've finished the points that I wanted to add, and I thank you for your time and consideration. And yes, I think it is uh, uh, something internal that needs to be looked at, resolved uh, in our particular case for our height uh, increase variance. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi. Uh, this is better. I guess I'm a little taller. Um, I just wanted to thank the board for, for hearing us tonight um, and, and giving this project consideration. As Saul mentioned and Donna's mentioned and the city has mentioned, we have worked hard to try to find a design that we think really respects the historical integrity and meets as best we can the, the commitments um, required under the zoning and design review. Um, I would like to reserve my time, if that's a possibility, to go at the end. Um, is that possible? That's no, not possible. Okay, well then I will just say thank you because you've been spending a lot of time on this already. So thank you very much. And follow by. Hi. Um, my name is Tracy Becker, and I'm a neighbor to these guys, and uh, I live at 1400 San Jose, and I just wanted to kind of just bring up a couple things. You know, when that little house was built, 1019, it was built, and even in the Historical Society, this is the tour from last year, it was built as a cottage. It wasn't built as one of these giant Victorians. And, you know, you can say that all the heights of all of these other Victorians are so high, but they were all built in 1891 and 1888. And so I just, I just feel that there should be some integrity left in the neighborhood. And I'm pretty sure that Don and Laura have a basement that is you know, being utilized either as an apartment or living space or something. And I'm wondering if there wouldn't be an alternative to that. And then second to that, is there the structure in there, like the infrastructure for a foundation to put a second story on that house? Like is that foundation structurally sound and has all that information been done? And again, I just want to go over saying that this is like the painted ladies of San Francisco, the street. It's iconic. I love their house. We walk by that house every day. We love it. It's like the gingerbread house. But it is clearly the cottage of the street and has been. And it's even noted in all of these this information, this historical information. So I just wanted to let you guys know, I think for me, it's a little bit heavy on the top. I feel like it's oversized. And again, it does sit there small and people are looking, you know, the other houses are looking down. But that's the intent of 1890 was that it was a cottage. It wasn't meant to be built as a Grand Victorian. So that's all I wanted to say. And then again, the structural part of the foundation. I personally, as I said, I live on 1400 San Jose. We talked about doing, building out our attic. And the one thing I was told right off the bat is what about your foundation? We're not doing that, but I needed to put in a foundation in order to, with French drains and structural engineering and headers. My fireplace fell through when we when we put 
our new foundation and our fireplace fell through from the set from the first store into the basement so that all had to be redone so I just wanted to make sure that everything is structurally sound but again it's the cutest house in the neighborhood we all love it and we just hate to see it destroyed you know not destroyed but changed and if there's any way that the basement space can be utilized I, I just you know I think when I walked through there when it was open house it was an apartment I'm not sure what it's being used for it says show storage but there's a bathroom down there and I thought is there has there been an alternative or some looking anybody looked at this you know utilizing that space in the basement for a living space okay thanks sorry thank you next speaker Hi, good morning, or hello. I'm Kelly Kearney. I live at 1001 Morton Street. Um, I wanted to know how long was this project going to go? As Tracy mentioned, um, she had some problems with her house when they were doing some stuff. And it was only going to be a three-month project and ended up being a nine-month project, which was a long time. Um, Tracy lives at the corner of San Jose and Morton. I live right next door. This house is right next. We're on a slow street. You know, Franklin Park is a slow street. There is a little grade school there. There's a park. They played baseball. They have birthday games in that park every single weekend. They have yoga class in that park every single weekend. People walk their dogs in that park every single day multiple times. So when you're talking about putting on a whole story 1,200 feet on a house, I think it's going to be disruptive. So yes, it is going to be disruptive to the neighbors. Two neighbors said they didn't mind it, but the rest of us, we weren't asked. And it's a big thing. These trucks are big. It's a slow street. They're going to be parking on all. Where do people park when they're coming to the birthday parties and the inflatable houses? Where does all that stuff go? Does it go on Grand Street? But now they can't park on Grand Street. So there's stuff. But mostly I'm coming to also, I have this book uh, that came with my house. It was from 1820. And it has the location of all the houses on that Morton Street. And at the time, it was called, um, San Antonio was called Kings Avenue. That's how old this is. And I'll just read one paragraph. Um, this book is, um, it's called The Rancho de San Antonio. It was granted to Louis Peralta in the year 1820 by Pablo Vicente de Sola, governor of California, whose authority was made such grants derived from the king of Spain. And on February 13, 1844, the same was confirmed from Michael Torreño, governor of the Upper California under the Mexican government. I read this because when I found this in our house, it, I had no idea how old everything was. It's all written. It's all stamped. You may look at it. But this is the real thing. So when we're talking about an integrity of a very old neighborhood. We're talking about a very old neighborhood and its integrity and all the kids and dogs and people and everyone that now go there because it is lovely. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And if we could find out how long it's projected, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Do we have any more speakers? President uh, Ruiz, we have uh, Carmen Reed on Zoom. Okay. And then we have one more in person um, who is. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, please hold, please, um, Miss. Okay, Carmen. Do we have any more speakers following uh, Miss Reed? We alternate between uh, in person speakers and those online. Thank you. Um, that's a call the timer, then we can go ahead and start. Thank you. Um, can you, can you yes. hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chair Ruiz and um, the planning board. Um, I am a member of the, of the Preservation Action Committee. Um, I'm part of the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society, and um, I have reviewed the plans uh, for this project. Um, I'm also a lifelong resident of Alameda, and I grew up near the park. Um, I spent many of my summers playing at Franklin Park. 
Um, so I would just like to comment that I think the applicant has done a great job on remaining faithful to the Queen Anne design, despite the changes from the cottage design to a, to a more grander version. Um, and considering the size and the scale of the rest of the houses um, you know, around the park, I think that the new that that the new design is is quite appropriate, um, and uh, you know, and I would like to emphasize the importance of maintaining the character of the windows on the second story. So I think that that's essential, and I believe that that's um, that's a good reason uh, to grant the variance for this for this project. Um, and I also think that by by adding a second story, um, it also supports the longevity of this um, of of our Victorians. Um, I also walked through that house when it when it when it sold the last time, and I'm aware that there was um, you know a lower unit. Well, you know I don't you know I don't know the applicant, and you know I don't know what what their their intentions are, but. You know, there could be a possibility of maybe having an ADU in the basement. Well, that also supports our housing goals. So, um, so anyway, I'm in support of the design. I think they've done a, a nice job, and um, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, Dougal Brindley. Hello. Yeah, my name is Dougal Brindley. I live at one zero zero three Barton Street. Um, so yeah, I'm neighbours, and uh, you know it's a lovely house, wonderful paint job, um, and you know we renovated our house um, seven years ago, so um, it's a, you know it's a Victorian, um, and we were very careful when we did the renovation to make sure that we wouldn't didn't affect the the, the face, the, the front of the house. Um, so you know we were careful to <clears throat> keep windows in the in the period. Um, make sure that the you know we did not alter the front of the house so it's consistent with the other the grand dames of that of that park and there's some there's some wonderful houses on that park my concern about about this house number one is it is a cottage you know now I mean certainly you can you can make it into a Victorian but you know it, it's not really authentic to itself my second concern is yeah, there are. I mean, there are a lot of folks see this house, and there's a they, they are kind of the painted ladies of Alameda. So you've got this fantastic park. You know, you've got Franklin Park there. Everybody goes there, enjoys a day out with their, with their kids and stuff. And um, you know, you have this this wonderful house. Now, albeit a cottage, my concern is, yes, it stands out a little bit. It's a bit smaller than the other houses, the other Victorians. But is it trying to be something that it's not? You know, and in doing so, are you are you are you are you kind of are you are you corrupting or are you are you spoiling the the visual of those other houses? You know, um, I'm I'm great great that Alameda Architectural Preservation Society um, spoke on their behalf. You know, we worked very closely with them seven years ago, and we worked very closely with you guys too to make sure that we were building and renovating our house at great expense. Me and my wife. Um, to be consistent with the Victorian era, um, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily seeing that same approach or due diligence in this house or this design. Um, I'm, it's just concerning the amount of upfront changes that we have that that, that we're seeing, um, and the impact that will have in the other the other houses. I, ju I just also want to point out there says just some other concerns here. It says. 
um, you know, notice the two heraldic shields on the tip of the both gable roofs. Yeah, my concern is, are we going to keep those architectural, um, you know, highlights of the house, or are those going to um, go with with building out in the front here? And it is, I mean, it's 1,200 square feet is is an awful lot <laughs> to be adding onto a house too. So it is basically, I don't know, doubling the size of the house. Which is, I mean, I I, I get it. You know, we all, we all have, um, we're all looking for extra space. But again, my concern is, are you, are you kind of ruining what is a beautiful house? And, and again, I, I, you know, I, I, I congratulate them on the house, on the work they have done in the house and the, the beautiful job in um, keeping it um, as it is. And my time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Next speaker. All the speakers. Okay. Thank you. Now that's open up for board comments. Please raise your hand. Board member Cisneros. Yeah, sorry, it's a question. Oh. <laughs> um, a clarifying question um, for staff. Um, yeah, can you uh, give me an example of um, what would qualify for variance for one and two? Examples of similar variances? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's an, uh, an exceptional or extraordinary, I can't say it by that word, okay, circumstance. Yeah. And, so um, typically variances would apply, for example, if let's just say uh, the house, for some reason due to the topography of the site, sat like five feet taller than the rest. And so they would have less house, but they were already closer to the height limit. I mean, that's sort of an example. There are other situations where, um, if this board might remember a few years ago, we brought to you a project on Centennial Avenue where the lot dimensions were very narrow. It's like a 25-foot lot, um, it, whereas everybody else in the neighborhood had a wider lot. So that would be a good example of a um, special, unique circumstance. Um, so th those would be some examples. But um, the city, we have not approved a variance or a height variance for as far as, as I can remember. And maybe within the last 10 years, um, two variances only. So variances are really far and rare. Thank you. Board Member Teague. Thank you. I'd like to thank staff and the applicant and everyone who has spoken. Um, I live in a Queen Anne Victorian, you know. It's my belief it's one of the premier Victorians on the island. Um, it had a second story remodel done. The windows are very different than the other windows. The remodel was done in 1900 versus 1895 when it was built. They're very wide, not as tall, absolutely not as tall. And I don't think that it is detrimental to the Queen Anne nature to have a different orientation of those windows. Um, in terms of the neighbors, everyone else is taller. You know, it could be that I was able to convert my house to three units when Measure A was around and my neighbor was, but the next neighbor didn't do it in time, so should they be given a variance? Because the other people got it. You know, the height, it was built that height. Um, I, I'm finding, I, I, I can't find the extraordinary and exceptional circumstances in this case. Uh, I would like to be able to find it because I like the project. I 
want them to be able to do this extension. Uh, as many people know, I'm very much into the contemporary compatible versus matching style where you tell the difference, but I am not the judge of that. That's not our role. This is our judicial role, which is applying the rules, and I wish I could see a way through this. There was another project that we had several years ago where I was the lone dissenter, and that could be the case tonight, and that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, and the, you know, the tower, you know, the height exception on that, I tested the boundaries of that in 2009 uh, with Andrew Thomas, who actually was the planner at the time. Uh, and there was a lot of discussion as to whether it applied to houses. Uh, and so, but it was decided that it does apply to houses, which is great, so that the tower is there. But, you know, the don't be a bedroom was uh, definitely told to us, and I appreciate the, the fact that it is at least distinguishedly different, uh, so that I don't have a problem with that. Um, it would be great if you could keep the ridge height as it is, and instead of having the shed roof the way you have it, but come down from the ridge in order to give you the height. Um, I don't know whether architecturally that would work, but that would be hidden from the street because the two gables provide a block between the two. So there's two pairs of gables in the front, two pairs of gables in the back. What's in between can only be seen by the neighbors for the most part. And so potentially something could be done there. Um, I, I would like to be able to support it, but I'm not going to be able to find, make that finding uh, number one. I'm not, I can't make number one. Number three, you've done the shadow studies. I appreciate it. In terms of the detriment, I absolutely appreciate it. The short-term impact to the neighborhood, I understand that completely. I, I absolutely do. But that is, in general, not something that we factor into the decision as to whether someone can do something. So thank you. Thank you. Any other board comments? Board member, Vice President Hum. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Um, you know, I take variances uh, very strongly and it does need specific findings. And there's some leeway of interpretation of uh, how you come up with variance findings, but they do need to be specific. So, first of all, for the design review, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that the design is a suitable design that's compatible with the neighborhood. And some of the neighbors mentioned historically this was a cottage. Uh, I don't see the need to require that the homeowner uh, maintain it as a cottage. Um, to me, that would be putting an um, extraordinary restriction on the property that other neighbors do not or not required to do simply because it was historically a cottage. So to me, is does the proposed alteration of this cottage to say a full-blown Victorian house, that's, is it compatible? And from what I see, it, it looks like it was done very sensitively done. And you know, I do know the, the Alameda, you know, preservation historically, they, they review these applications very, very strongly. And the fact that they've come out and endorsed this proposed um, addition really to me is a strong message that because they're very, you know, they're very fastidious about respecting historic character, and I do appreciate that. So, with the ferians, you know, I'm I'm gonna say that I support the ferians. However, 
I, but I don't take lightly the need for the variances findings because I don't want it to be appear that the, the planning board is liberal in applying variances so that for when each case come up, there needs to be a good uh, record uh, on the rationale for supporting variances. So here's, here's my rationale for how I can make the three findings. And um, the first finding that there are exceptional or extraordinary circumstances applying to the property involved or to be proposed use of the property. Typically when I read that variance, it, you know, it's very commonly it's just an unusual condition to the site itself or the shape or the configuration of the property. What, what I would use as a finding is that, and I do appreciate the information on the adjacent homes in the neighborhood. To me, what's exceptional or extraordinary is that this neighborhood is characterized by much larger homes, say perhaps in other R1 districts, um, and there's a preponderance of Victorian homes and other style homes that exceed the height variance. So I would base my finding on the first one that the exceptional extraordinary circumstances has to do with the character of the adjacent homes in the neighborhood, which we talk about the need for compatibility. If this home was being proposed in an air neighborhood with predominantly lower or smaller homes, one-story homes, then definitely I could not make that variance finding. But in this condition, this neighborhood has a much larger Victorian homes, so I could base a finding of uh, making that first variance finding. For the second variance finding, there's kind of like two choices, and I'll focus on this second one. Unnecessary hardship, such as to deprive the applicant of a substantial property right possessed by other owners of the property uh, in the same class of district. So to me, these homes are, the other homes are grandfathered in. They're non-conforming homes. But I, I venture to say that if for some reason these homes were significantly damaged in a fire, you know, we would grandfather in and allow them to rebuild these homes to the, the current height limit. So to me, um, requiring this home to meet the 32 and a half or 30 foot height limit is, is putting an unusual condition that you would not um, impose on the adjacent homeowners. So to me, it, I can make the finding it would deprive the applicant of a substantial property right possessed by your neighbors. And uh, so that's my basis for the second finding. The third finding, I think staff's already agreed and we all agreed with analysis been done that granting the variance would not have a um, particular detrimental uh, impact on the public welfare or the surrounding properties. So um, that would be my basis for making the findings for support of the three variance conditions. Thank you, Vice President Hom. Would you mind elaborating your findings for number two? Because I didn't quite understand your reference to adjacent buildings and how. Oh, yeah, sh sure, I'd be glad to. I'm really focusing on the second part of the variance, uh -huh. which says unnecessary hardship, such as to deprive the applicant of a substantial property right possessed by other owners of the property in the same class uh, of district. Mm -hmm. So how, what I, how I see it is that these adjacent properties uh, are much larger um, structures. They all exceed the required height limit. Um, so to require this home in this general area to 
be subject to a lower height limit uh, is an extra hardship because I do believe that if the neighbors' homes, they were, they were sort of fairly damaged in a fire or whatever, we would allow them to rebuild those historic structures to the, maybe not, I mean, that's a decision or maybe the code describes it, but that's kind of the basis for I, I just have a point of information for Vice President Hom. We actually have in our, or, in our ordinances a uh, allowance that if a home is damaged, they can rebuild a non-conforming. Yeah, yeah. That's I, in our I, ordinance I, separate than everything else. Yeah, I, I assume that's okay. the case. So that's kind of, to me, even more strongly supports uh, that is a, is a property right enjoyed by the adjacent homes. Thank you. Are there more comments? Board Member Curtis. Well, I think if, if there are no more comments, um, I, I'll tell you that um, the Vice President did an excellent job of, of analyzing why this, this can be approved. Um, is this an appropriate time to call the question? and make a motion to approve the variance. Um, you can make a mo motion, but I well, have comments. Well, would you like to make it, Mr. Hahn? Uh, I'd like to hear other board members' comments before we make a motion. Um, yeah, I, Mrs. Narrows. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I took the look, I was like, go ahead. So, um, yeah, uh, I appreciate um, uh, Vice President Hom's um, comments and um, also Board Member Teague's um, comments as well because I do uh, like this is like a little bit more stepping back I do feel like we're stretching a little bit so it's maybe not the time to really dive into this but um, it, I, I do just wonder like what this means for R1 zoning when um, an applicant can't make such a small change like I really hear board member Curtis's frustration um, with us taking so much time on something that just seems like so prudent, but um, yeah, I um, I, agree, I agree with uh, Vice President Hom's uh, motion, and I would support that. Any other board comments? Okay. Um, first of all, I want to thank the staff for working with the applicant, and I would appreciate the applicant and the um, public for coming out and speaking and contributing to this process. Um, that's what makes this process work, it's by your contribution. Um, so, from my seat, I look at granting a variance, not uh, also a setting precedence, precedence for cool. how staff will evaluate future projects. Um, and. I appreciate the applicant showing the hardship. But the reason I ask if you have done any studies using existing height, in my mind, I would have wanted to see those examples and how awful they were. That's why they didn't work. And also show the ceiling height. Not obviously in your presentation, you made some corrections to staff's um, um, height references that was in the staff report but there were no diagrams that come to us saying, hey, if we use, keep the existing building high, our rooms will be at this high, which is unreasonable. Then I will feel more comfortable granting that variance, but there was no diagrams for comparing what 
would have been and what it is. We have to take these little vignettes and use our imagination to see if it actually works or not. And I have a hard time granting that, not seeing the comparisons between the two. So I agree with the staff that I cannot find findings for exception number one and two, but on three I can support. But again, I can be the minority here, you just need four votes. So I'm looking at from setting precedents for future cases too. So do we have a motion? You make the motion, I'll second. I'd like to make a motion to approve the design review and also approve the variance to allow the height to, to be 33, six inches, which is three foot, six inches above the height limit. And, um, and with the findings that I articulated earlier, I guess staff, do you want me to repeat them again? Do you want staff, do, do you want me to repeat the rationale for the three variance findings? Yes, that would be helpful. And I would also recommend um, that uh, you be very specific that the variance is based on the conditions in this particular neighborhood around Franklin Park. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just as a precursor to the findings, I do take these variance findings very seriously. You know, they shouldn't be um, approved lightly. And, they, and I, I'm a, I totally agree with uh, Board President Ruiz that we don't want these variants to be precedent setting. So they need to really be very specific. So with that in mind, I can make the, and feel free to paraphrase board members. <laughs> I mean, uh, the first finding, that there are exception and exceptional or extraordinary circumstances applying to the property involved or to the proposed use of the property in that the surrounding uh, homes in the immediate vicinity of, uh, of this home are for large measure uh, exceed the height limit uh, for the neighbor, for the zoning district and that these homes would, that the neighbor homes would likely be able to rebuild to the, the uh, non-conforming height limit should there be a, you know, a disaster whatsoever. Um, for the second finding, I can find that by um, denying the fairness, it would pose a necessary hardship, such as deprive the applicant of a substantial property right possessed by other owners of property in the, the same class of district in that the surrounding homes in the immediate vicinity of uh, this proposed Home as uh, kind of as the record shows is um, you know are substantially exceeding, or maybe not substantially, but they do exceed the uh, Sony district. Um, I would not make this just as a, a side comment. I would not make this variance finding if the surrounding homes were not of that nature. So I want to make that clear. And then um, the third finding, granting the variance, will not under the circumstances of the, the particular case be detrimental to the public welfare or injurious to the persons or property in the vicinity. I'd like to also add another condition, and that's really based on the comments from some of the neighbors, which I appreciate they've come and expressed their concerns. Construction uh, is a real issue, especially in single-family neighborhoods, and I expect this construction will go on, quite honestly, for about nine months. Um, 
we always wanted to go shorter, but I had a remodel done on my house that took nine months and it wasn't even adding an addition. Um, so I, I add a condition that the applicant needs to provide a kind of construction schedule, um, management plan, you know, where the construction vehicles will be uh, parked and to provide a phone number to all the residents to be able to, for them to call an appropriate person if there's some problems occur, such as blockage or noise complaints, et cetera. Do we have a second? Second. Yes, Mr. Tai. Yes, President Ruiz. Um, just a clarifying question for, for uh, Vice President Hall. Um, if you're asking the applicant to provide a phone number to neighbors, um, do you have a sense of the uh, how, how large a radius, or would it be sufficient if they post a sign on the property with a contact information so that? That, that would be acceptable. I'm just thinking I, about making it yeah, easy I, for I the think applicant. That's a good question. To, you know. Yeah, I think uh, what you suggest, Alan, would be a so, good approach. So On-site signage with a contact information in case there are questions or Staff concerns. Member Tai, I believe that is in our standard conditions of approval from public works or any kind of construction. That's from building department. You're supposed to provide that information. Yeah, we can include that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, that's a. Um, roll call vote, but we don't need to roll call individually, right? No. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 Um, we have one, two, three, four. Okay. Four. No? So that motion passes four to two. Congratulations. Now let's move on to agenda item 5B. Do we have a presentation? This is for um, development plan and development agreement for 500 West Midway um, Avenue. Director Thomas will be giving the staff presentation while and it's being loaded. Good evening, President Ruiz, Vice President Hom, members of the planning board, Andrew Thomas, planning building, transportation director. Um, I um, will be presenting this item tonight. Um, I am only gonna take a couple minutes to introduce the item and then I'd like to sort of cede the rest of uh, the staff presentation time to the applicant who would like to do the bulk of the presentation um, showing off their proposed project. Um, so uh, this is a proposal for development plan and development agreement for, for a project that we call the reshape project. Um, it's rebuilding the existing supportive housing at Alameda Point. Um, this is a exciting project for the city of Alameda. It's 309 housing units, supportive housing units. So this is housing for the for very low and low income um, uh, uh, residents of Alameda. Uh, there are currently 200, of the, 200 units out at Alameda Point, but they are units that um, are former Navy barracks. Um, those units are falling apart, frankly. 
Um, it's getting, getting to the point where it almost doesn't make sense to put money into those units because they really are beyond their useful life. Um, this is a project the city's been working on for a very long time. Um, next slide, please. Um, the, uh, it's also a, a project that's critical to our housing element for this next eight years. Um, as, part of that, how, how, uh, uh, as part of our housing element, the planning board will probably remember, one of our primary programs um, to achieve our arena for the city of Alameda is our ability to provide 1,400 housing units at Alameda Point over the next eight years. Um, this is a major commitment on the part of Alameda and as described in our housing element, it really depends on the city expediting and doing everything. Oops, Sorry to me. interrupt. Yeah. Um, Ms. McCartney, would you mind putting that in presentation mode so it's larger on the screen? Yeah, I have James helping me here. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's just coming up really small there you on go. our screen. There we go. Um, so um, the slide here is showing the area of Alameda Point that we designated in our housing element for housing over the next eight years. Um, it's a, about 55 acres of city-owned land. So these are this is city-owned land um, that we want to make available for housing with development partners. Uh, next slide, please. It's really, and our phasing plan that's articulated in the housing element really depends on three, project be, three projects being constructed in those, in those areas over the next eight years, along with all the necessary infrastructure to support those projects. So um, that's, it's the infrastructure that makes this such an ambitious goal, because you can't build housing without infrastructure. So the first step has to be building the infrastructure. And really, it's um, extending the infrastructure from site A phase one, which is what you see in this slide, and extending it north so that site A phase two can occur, which is the, in the area of those big warehouses just to the right-hand side of the new housing on the drawing. And then just to the right of that, off the screen, are the next two projects which are critical to our housing element, which are the reshape project and the West Midway project. Between those two, um, that's the additional 787 um, units. So um, although we're at the beginning of the eight-year cycle, um, there's really very no time to lose here. We have to get moving because the process just to design the infrastructure and build it is several years. Um, and then, then you can start doing vertical construction. So um, we have a lot to accomplish um, in the very near future. Next, next slide, please. So uh, reshape, the rebuilding of the um, supportive housing out at Alameda Point. This is something, as I said, we've been working on for a very long time. Back in 2018, the Planning Board and City Council approved a development plan and development agreement for this project. Um, and then two years later, 2020, we, the city did a request for proposals for uh, a market rate developer to build on the 26 acres adjacent to the reshape building. And this was all part of an overall plan, which was to essentially use private market rate development to help fund the infrastructure and site preparation work for the very low and low income reshape project. So we, we brought on the development team in 2022, um, excuse me, in 2020. They started, and that's what we call the 
the West Midway project. So this slide here shows the reshape project on the top left corner and then the West, the West Midway project surrounding it on the right-hand side. Um, the uh, RFP, the council selected the Catellus Brookfield team to do the West, West Midway project after um, quite a bit of internal design work with reshape and with city staff, it was determined that it actually would work better to create a more integrated plan for Alameda Point if the reshape campus was moved to this top left corner of the, um, of the area. It had originally in 2018 been approved for the right-hand top corner. Um, so after much consideration and a workshop with the planning board, another workshop with the council, it's decided to move to the left-hand corner and we've been working on these site plans and these agreements uh, with both projects um, ever since. So we're here tonight for the planning board's review of the reshape portion of this drawing, which is the top left-hand corner, just the reshape project. Um, we'll be back in two weeks uh, with the West Midway piece. Um, then the goal is to get both projects to the city council on June 20th. Um, uh, so that, and what that will do, once the West Midway project is approved, that's when Catellus Brookfield will start spending the money to design all the infrastructure. And under those agreements, the very first thing that happens is uh, Brookfield, Catellus, build the reshape infrastructure for their first pad, which will be delivered in a year. For that first pad, there's, if you can think about the reshape project, as sort of four big buildings. Um, or four pieces, four quarters of the reshape project. So the first quarter would be available for reshape in, in a year, the second quarter in the second year. Um, and then it would be phased in over the course of the West Midway project. Um, and hopefully, if all goes well and the market cooperates, um, we get both projects built over the next eight years. Next slide, please. So at this point, I'd like to do is hand it off um, to Mr. Doug Biggs and his team with Mid-Penn Housing, which is their development partner, uh, to present the project to you. Mr. Biggs. Good evening, President Ruiz, member of the planning board. My name's Doug Biggs. I'm the executive director of the Alameda Point Collaborative, and I'm representing the, the Reshape Collaborative partners tonight. Reshape stands for Rebuilding Existing Supportive Housing at Alameda Point. We've been working in one form or another on this concept since 2007. It takes a while to get things done out at Alameda Point. So tonight's a very important milestone for us. The design team that's been instrumental in putting our vision on paper for presentation to the board is with us tonight, and that includes David Baker Architects, Plural Studio, who's doing our landscaping and CVG. Can we go on to slide two, please? Or the next slide, let me see. there we go. Nope, other way. Uh, the next slide, please. Um, so the, since 1999, the three reshape collaborating partners agencies have been providing housing and services at Alameda Point to those experiencing homelessness. And on that slide there, you can see the yellow, which is the current housing locations for Alameda Point Collaborative. The blue is the current housing locations for Building Futures and the green is Operation Dignity. And we each provide um, specific social services for the clientele we serve. ABC primarily serves families. 
Uh, Building Futures primarily serves survivors of domestic violence and Operation Dignity uh, primarily serves veterans in a combination of permanent and transitional housing. We're spread out over 34 acres currently um, and um, we've created a remarkable and supportive community out of really less than desirable housing units. The buildings that have been constructed as temporary by the Navy are expensive to maintain and lack accessibility features considered industry standard for supportive housing units. They're surrounded by abandoned and dilapidated buildings, and there's a critical need for new infrastructure and utilities for the entire area. Because of the dire need for new housing, the collaborative partners brought on Midpen Housing in 2015 as a development partner to help us move the vision forward. Midpen is a 50-year-old Bay Area-based nonprofit affordable housing developer and manager. Midpen has a proven track record, having developed over 8,000 homes and professionally managed 95 properties with over 6,700 units providing affordable homes for 16,300 Northern California residents. Together, in 2017, Reshape's initial development plan was approved, and in 2018, we entered into a DDA with the city. Once a market rate developer was selected, and we began coordinating with them, we shifted the site plan, as Andrew mentioned, location to put us closer to the transit, closer to early infrastructure improvements, next to buildings of comparable height, and closer to employment centers at Alameda Point. Fundamentally, this is the same plan presented and approved in 2018 on a different site with some changes to the configuration. Our design and layout has been influenced tremendously by the voice of our residents. And to talk more about that, I'd like to turn this over to Sarah McIntyre of Midpen Housing. So, Madam President and members of the board, thank you. Um, as Doug said, I'm Sarah McIntyre. I've been uh, working with Doug since 2015 on this project. Um, when Midpen was brought on. And as part of the process of developing, oh, actually, you can go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, as part of the process of developing the initial site plan that was approved in 2017, um, as part of the Main Street specific plan process, together with David Baker Architects, who I have here, we conducted extensive outreach with the existing residents to develop a shared vision that you can see on the slide um, and a trauma informed design of the reshape campus. We did two big design workshops. Um, the middle picture shows one of those with over 100 residents at, at each and almost 300 comments received. And the reoccurring themes we heard from the residents included wanting a pedestrian oriented campus with slow streets, with ample open space, as well as a, a key focus on accessibility and safety. We also conducted one-on-one -on -one interviews with all residents and also focus groups with residents and staff. And the shared vision on this slide here um, really informed that initial design and um, the new plan before you today for consideration really maintains that vision in the new, new location, um, including a, a key aspect, which is establishing safe spaces and access for residents who may have suffered from, from past traumas while also providing opportunities to connect to the West Midway neighborhood. Um, and I'll pass it off to the architects in a moment to walk you through that design. But before I do, I wanted to note, uh, as, Andrew, as Andrew mentioned, that Reshape will be built in four phases. Uh, so the first two phases will be APC's first phase will be two phases for Alameda Point Collaborative. 
the other, uh, so that's 1A on this slide. The, uh, the other project in the first, uh, first two phases is Operation Dignities Building, which is 1B. And those two will be built first, um, and then the second phase will be the last, last two phases of the project, which is Building Futures Building and Alameda Point Collaborative second phase. And the reason for um, the first phases being uh, APC and Operation Dignity is because, as you saw on the previous slide from Doug, there are existing um, APC and Operation Dignity residents living out in the West Midway neighborhood, as well as in the location where Reshape will ultimately be, the, the final two phases. So we'll be building those two communities first so that existing residents can move into the new homes and free up the, that land for future phases. So I'll pass it on to Daniel Simons from David Baker Architect, who will walk you through the plan and a little bit how it was developed to meet the needs of the residents. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Thank you. Um, my name is Daniel Simons. I'm a principal at David Baker Architects, and um, I've been working on this project since 2015. Uh, so I'm really excited to see here uh, to get this next milestone. Um, so. I think that one of the things that's really important to remember when looking at this site plan is to think about the people who are going to be living there. So these folks um, are coming from really difficult circumstances, and there's been a lot of advancements in trauma-informed design in the last few years, and this uh, sense of safety and security is of utmost importance. So the site plan is balancing that need for a safe, secure place but yet also acknowledging that we're part of the larger Alameda Point community, so we don't want to be too inward-facing. So it's this sort of inward-facing enough for people to feel comfortable, but not so inward-facing that it feels like we're turning our back on the rest of the neighborhood. Um, the streets, um, we're working with good urban planning principles to try and reconnect to the existing grid, but also respecting the concerns of the neighbors that they didn't, or the residents, that they didn't want this to be a pass-through with people like driving through here quickly as they experience on their current, um, in their current residences. So um, what's colored here in orange is the uh, common areas and services for all um, three of the organizations. And you can see they're all focused around this main public plaza and the barn. Uh, which is a large resident um, serving public space. Uh, there is a farm which is connected to Alameda um, Point Collaborative's current farm, and that does have a public face out to Pan Am Way. So again, not turning our backs completely on the public, but keeping that central focus. Um, here's a quick rendering of what that plaza might look like, although the buildings have not been designed. Um, this is just the plan that we're approving today. Um, here are a few other projects that we've done in the Bay Area, just to give you an example of the quality of the affordable housing that we typically do, um, similar in scale to the project, the buildings that we'll be building out here as well. Uh, and then similarly, just some photos of similar affordable housing common areas, uh, projects with MidPen um, and other agencies around the Bay Area to give you a sense of the quality um, that we will be bringing. I'm going to now pass it to um, Haley, who's going to talk a little bit about the landscape architecture. Good evening. I'm Haley Watterson. I'm a landscape architect and principal at Floral. 
Uh, the open space design is intended to connect residents to outdoor spaces that promote community building and provide comfortable and safe places to recover and feel restored, as has mentioned before. Canvas design uh, prioritizes safe pedestrian movement with a central plaza that's raised from the vehicle level um, and the design of slow streets where residents will primarily be just looking for parking. Um, the barn is an anchor to the open space and provides this activity center to support the adjacent plaza and farm um, and lawn and recreation space. And while the campus is primarily looking inward to provide that sense of security and safety we've been talking about, uh, the public would be invited in uh, along Pan Am Way, where that yellow star is located. We're imagining a small farm stand could be located there, um, inviting the community in to come for um, educational or volunteer opportunities within the farm. Um, and the campus design aspires to um, do good by the environment. So reduce urban heat island effect as much as possible with planting many new trees. Uh, we would be following all the bay-friendly guidelines um, and, of course, the water-efficient landscape ordinances. In addition to all these open spaces, within each building there will be um, open common spaces as well for use by the residents. We're imagining warm and inviting outdoor spaces that use durable and safe materials. Um, the programs and site elements would promote multi-generational um, living and small and medium-sized gathering spaces. We'd also look to, for opportunities to invite the residents to participate in the designing of the open spaces through resident art opportunities or, or other um, opportunities. And the farm stand, um, sorry, the barn and the, um, and the farm are kind of a primary feature of the open spaces. Um, it's that place where we welcome public into the site. We're imagining that the, the farm functions like an open, open space, so it will have an infrastructure adequate for um, growing food, but be durable enough for public interaction. Um, so just to recap, um, we've worked really hard on the site plan. We've worked really hard with the residents and the groups out here, um, and the design uh, came about um, as the city has been implementing its objective design standards. And there are a few things um, that we're going to need exceptions from, um, which is part of the reason that we're here in front of you today. So as I talked about, uh, we're balancing this need for public and private. Um, and one of the objective design standards is that the main entrances to the buildings face a public street, but in fact, in this case, they won't. Um, there are a few others, uh, and I will list them, and if you have questions about why we need exceptions from them, I will go into details later, but I didn't want to spend too much time on them. So um, the unenclosed exterior stairs, uh, we would like to have open air circulation, again, as part of this trauma-informed design, so public stairs. Um, ground floor ceiling heights of 14 feet, uh, we do, um, that's a great standard for more commercial uses, but with residential uses, we don't need those ceiling heights to be quite as high. Um, mixed use building transparency. Uh, there were standards that were set out, um, again, with uh, the privacy needed for the residences. They're on grade. We're gonna have slightly fewer windows um, than was originally um, envisioned in the objective design standards. Um, and then uh, wall surfaces of more than 15 feet. Um, 
because we do have a lot of service requirements for these, there are going to be a few instances where we'll exceed those requirements. So um, with that, I'm going to oops, hand it back to Doug. Thank you. Um, and I just want to follow up on what Daniel said about the uh, objective design standard waivers that are going to be needed uh, for this project. They are really reflective of the trauma-informed design and the economic constraints imposed on affordable housing. As you well know, you know there's a couple ways we could approach this, and, and one is through discretionary hearings uh, to, to waive those, those standards. And as you well know, discretionary hearings have been used by opponents of homeless services to delay projects through appeal after appeal, and that's not an avenue we're really interested in going down. Um, to avoid those delays, we could submit a density bonus request for these waivers, but that's kind of sidestepping the issue. Uh, we'd like to avoid that. Instead, what we strongly encourage the planning board to do is to modify the standards at your hearings that are going to be coming up to review the objective standards to reflect best practices for affordable housing design and to avoid delays in construction of affordable housing. Changes to the standards would not only benefit our project, but all affordable housing projects going forward. So we want you to, to think about doing that as you, you bring the uh, objective design standards back for review and, and amendment. With that, that's our presentation. We're happy to answer any questions you, you have about the project. Thank you. Thank you, Director Thomas. Do you have closing comments? I think there's one more slide. Okay. Thank you, Deirdre. <laughs> Yeah, so on behalf of city staff and the city of Alameda, we're really excited to be here tonight. This is a major milestone on a project we've been working for a very long time, I think, for the city of Alameda and the staff. Um, you know, as a, when a city has resources like Alameda Point, where we own all this land, it just makes for a really unique opportunity to do something special with it. And I think the Reshape Project is one of those examples where we're able to do 309 very low and low income units in a comfortable, safe campus design. I mean, just a very unique opportunity for a East Bay city. Um, so we're excited, we're recommending approval, um, uh, and we're available to answer any questions. Thank you, Director Thomas, and thank you, Mr. Biggs and the team for the presentation. Um, open up for, again, Board questions, public comments, and then board comments. <laughs> um, board member Teague. Uh, thank you. Um, Alan and Andrew, so we discussed this a couple years ago, and one of the things we specifically discussed was the uh, inward focus nature of this thing. And at that time, I thought that we were all pretty much in agreement that that would be absolutely acceptable for this as well as the the not drive circulation integration is that am i recalling correctly yeah you're absolutely right okay um i didn't see a plant tree palette and really the only thing i care about is there are no palm trees uh as everyone knows no palm trees is the allen we should add that to the conditions of approval just to remind the planners okay. um, and the it, applicants <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have no plans for palm trees. Uh, up to eight manager units. I, I'm, what does it mean up to eight? Does that mean if they're not being used, they would be lower, would be low or very low? What, what I, does that mean? I'll ask. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. So um, because this is uh, the inclusionary, oh, 
shorter person. Um, because we are the inclusionary affordable housing for the West Midway project, it was really important for them to know um, how many units of affordable we're providing. So we wanted to err on the side of being conservative. Um, so usually with for a supportive housing community like this, you would often, ha depending on the number of units, have two manager's units. For tax credit requirements, one is required up to a certain okay. number of units, and then you have to have two. But for um, a supportive housing community like this, to really, so MidPen will be the property manager, will co-own each building with each of the collaborating partners, but MidPen will do the property management, which is what we what we do. Um, and so for, it'll really, we'll be following the, uh, for APC phase two, we'll definitely have two manager's units. It's a larger, larger building. Um, and we, depending on, uh, we wanna have a flexibility, depending on how things go in the first okay. phases, we'll see if we would need to in the, in the last two phases or not. So it might, there might be a few, fewer than eight, but we wanna make sure that it's really well maintained and we have those eyes and the staff on site. So up to eight, but no more. Awesome, thank yeah. you very much. Um, what is Building 35? Building 35 is um, a city-owned property. It's a, a daycare center today. Um, it's not part of the site plan. Okay. So at this point, that's a piece of property the city is still owns. The current tenant will remain um, okay. as long as they have a lease. Um, with what we're looking at recommend, I, tonight is a recommending for city council the, type you of are, thing? The planning board has the authority to approve the development plan. Of course, it's appealable to the council. Okay. But um, on the development agreement, you have your... Okay. You're making Approve a recommendation. One, recommend the other. Correct. And do either of those require us to give the, you know, say it's okay to have inward facing, et cetera, et cetera. Do either of those contain the necessity for that to be part of this agreement? We wanted to, it's not, a, it's not required, but we wanted to make it clear. Yeah, I'm fine with having it in there. That. I just don't want to necessarily delay anything by waiting for objective standards to change. Yeah, exactly. No, there's there is no need to wait for objective standards okay. to change. I think uh, what and Doug then, was describing was a scenario where this gets approved. It doesn't show you where the doors are. Yeah. If if they need to come back, it, it, yeah. then what, ideally for this project, the planning board, when you have your hearings on the objective standards, you might add some some waivers or discussion about affordable housing in the waivers. And then at, at six to nine months later, they're doing their first design review application. If they don't need waivers because you've adjusted the objective standards, then it'll be ministerial review. If the planning board has not adjusted the objective standards, then it will be discretionary design review. Right, and can we include those changes in the, what we do tonight? We did not notice this meeting as a meeting where a, the objective standards. No, 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 no. In the uh, updated developer agreement or the things that we're approving or recommending, can we just include that as part of this? I think technically you could recommend that the council add that those waivers to the development agreement, and that would just 
mean that this specific project is granted the waivers to the and then there's it's just kind of done well actually no i i take that back no. I, I misspoke here's the problem state law says these projects shall be ministerially um, approved if they meet objective standards not if you waive the objective standards so that's why we sort of think the right way to handle this is approve the site plan tonight at a future public hearing, amend the objective standards so that okay. when they do their design review, yep. they're not getting a waiver. They're consistent. I, I, but it, doesn't a developer agreement override all of the other? I mean, it, it locks in place the zoning, the et cetera, when we do the agreement. It defines what their requirements are. It defines everything. It, it does. It locks in the current standards. Well, the current standards mean they need waivers. And if they need waivers, then they. But why? I mean, maybe this is for the city attorney. I, Can't we add those into the developer agreement tonight? I'll take a shot. Should I take a shot first before um, city attorney Chen responds? I, I think you can build into the development agreement some terms that you comply with these sections of the objective standards. Like for, for example, tonight, because the development plan is ready in front of you, you know what the site plan is, you can already make a decision on section um, you know, one, yeah. which of the, develop, of the objective standards, which speaks to um, site design. Um, and then you can also make a decision on section three, which deals with building orientation and entries. So what you're basically saving for future discussion would be when the elevations are ready. And so I think that, to answer the answer to your question is yes. You, yes. You can okay. Does the city attorney concur? I think that's right. What you can see on the development plan today, yeah. the inward facing, and you know the two things that Mr. Yeah, I I just want to move this as long I as fast as possible. Things, I do think that the planning board could recommend that those two things be incorporated into the development agreement and save the rest for a later discussion. But it okay. doesn't, that doesn't avoid the process that we I outlined still, because you're still going to have four waivers that they need even though you gave them two tonight. Because so, the other ones we're not seeing tonight. I mean, even this site plan doesn't show you where the doorways are. We just, okay. Yeah, the arrows. Just, the arrows are the doorways. Okay. The arrows? I don't yeah, the arrows. Yeah, the arrows. <laughs> I mean, demarcate yeah. the entrances. Yeah, that, that, it's obvious. I am okay with adding that into the developer agreement. That Mike, I have concerns about bifurcating design standards on affordable versus not, and that would be the city attorney to go figure out whether we can do that or not, because uh, that's the thing that I'm not sure that we can do. Um, they're gonna. Yeah, but that is independent of what we're doing tonight. So I'm done with my questions. Okay, board questions, questions, um, board member Curtis. I, I just would like a clarification. Uh, you know, we worked hard on the objective standards, and we've had some. some right. So, are we talking about just for low-cost housing? Because I, you know, just to give a carte blanche on these things for all and modify the objective standards, I'm not for that. I think, uh, the, the, right, and what we, are, what we are describing and what Doug was describing is when you look at your objective standards, again, and I think you're scheduled in a month to do that, if you were to amend your objective standards to say, and you could, you could craft it as tightly as you wanted, 
for projects that are 100% affordable, for example, you know, or for supportive campus, for this kind of campus, you can have inward forcing, facing doors, but not on Park Street, not on Webster Street, not where you might want outward facing. If you address the five issues that they pointed out, and you do it before they come forward, all five of them, but before they come forward with design review, then they will have ministerial review. But as long as there's still one of the five that are not, not addressed yet, they will not be eligible for ministerial review and they'll have to have discretionary design review. So that's, that's the... Do you have a, a slide with those five items? Yes. Well, while, while you look that up, sorry if I'm cutting from anybody else. Let me just finish real quick then. <laughs> that, I, I'm with, with, with board mem member, member Tegan, Tegan, Tegan this thing, is that I would like to see those five so that we have them defined and we yep. can do them rather than giving carte blanche and saying yep. this is the way it's going to be. Well, and just for the record, the five are... Do you want me to just repeat what the five are? No, I would like oh. to see a written piece of paper that shows that when it comes up that we know we oh, can be oh, prepared. Oh, yeah, when you, you mean when we come back with the I design? Would like, right, right. Yeah, of course, I would like to know course. them because I would like to add them to the developer agreement tonight. Well, if, if, if this, Isn't it? If they're, they're listed in the staff report. Yeah. Um, okay. If the city attorney thinks that you can do it in the development agreement and that will clear the design review and ensure ministerial review, um, and that the board doesn't need to amend their the the, the citywide design objectives. Um, I just that's in my opinion that would be the cleanest way to do it because then it would be specific to that agreement to it, and not to this project, not or, universal. Yeah, uh, it's it certainly if it's if the city attorney is comfortable with it. Uh, we. I see. We're debating this because we've been yeah, we've been debating we this other, internally I see issues a lot with this. But. Yeah. Okay. Any other comments? Yeah, while they're I have some concerns. I mean, I'm totally on board with the flexible standards. I'm struggling with building it in right now before even seeing the design review plans and concept. They make a lot of sense to me. Uh, rather than maybe a middle ground here, rather, and this may be a question more, it's more of a question. <laughs> But rather than saying specifically that these standards are waived or whatever, right now the development agreement pretty much says you sh you're locked in to whatever the requirements are in place. You know, so in, if we were to change the development standards down the road, whether it gets waived or it doesn't get waived or it's, it's ministerial, can we just ha add a provision that that the design standards for this project shall be shall will allow the future, any future revisions to apply, so it doesn't yes. actually get locked. Because to me, it kind of tells me it. that you would have to amend the development agreement to allow the most more flexible design standards. No. No, the, that's not what's in the development agreement, right? The way the development agreement is written is you're locking to the standards when they submit the application, not the day the development agreement. Uh, well, let me uh, clarify. True, the development though? agreement says the, the rules and regulations in place today mm -hmm. are the ones that you must follow. From the, the With, time from the time the development agreement is executed. It, correct. Not but, when they submit the building permit or right, design review. Right. Yeah. 
No, the R development agreements in Alameda lock in the codes as of the date of the agreement. That's However, typical. Yeah. so that would be June 20th of this year. However, what our development agreements also say is, so, and what they meet when they say is they lock them in. What, it's, what, what, what our development agreements say is, so that means that if the city changes the rules, lowers the height limit or do something like that, those changes don't, don't affect the project. Right. So the developer has certainty over the eight years that they'll be able to build the project they proposed and that we approved. Mm -hmm. they, but the uh, development agreement also includes a provision that says if we change the rules in a way that favor the project, oh, okay. Okay. the developer may, may voluntarily choose to follow those new rules. Okay, yeah, that's, thanks for so clarifying. So that's why this staff report describes a process whereby you approve the development agreement tonight, or the, and the, de the development plan tonight. If you don't change any of your objective standards, their design review has to be discretionary, and you could waive the objective standards at those times, but it would be a discretionary hearing subject to appeal. However, if you amend, and you could do it very precisely, your objective standards, so that it was tailored to just this kind of project, on this kind of site, in this kind of location. So it's very precisely tailored. If you happen to do that a, a month later, and then they come in for design review a year after that, mm -hmm. they can, they can take advantage yeah. of, the brand, of the, your new provisions. Okay. So from what I'm hearing, the development agreement is currently drafted allows that flexibility to apply the more, say, flexible or more yes. lenient. So, okay, that was my main question. Thank you. Okay. Any other? Yes, Attorney Chen. Thank you, President Rees. To respond to Board Member Teague's question, I do believe we can incorporate um, these five items uh, that will not apply to this project. I think we can be specifics. If the developer has identified these five and the majority of the planning board would like the five not to apply to this project. I think we can craft some language uh, to be recommended to be incorporated. So I, any other board questions? Not comments, questions. I, I just have a, a question <laughs> to understand. First of all, I, I just wanna commend you for the planning of the project. I really, I can see the contrast between the reshape and the West Midway and how the reshape really kind of screams community to me. Um, but I wanted to understand how the plaza and the lawn is used. Is it supposed to be just for the residents or is it more open to the bigger community? No, it's a it's a public space, so it is it's open a to public the, space. Yeah, I mean, there's no gates or anything. Right. It's just I think we wanted to design it in a way that it it felt like it belonged to these buildings, mm -hmm. so that the residents felt comfortable out there. But yeah, there's nothing preventing other people from from coming. Yeah. Got sure. it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And just to add a little bit about it. This is this is the interface we're looking for, where where our community can choose to engage and interact with a larger community in a very safe space. We see the, we call it the barn. It's gonna be a primarily our workforce development center where we'll do our, our employment programs. We envision having a cafe there that's resident run and, and
and people can come through there. There'll be uh, tours of the farm and opportunities to work out there. So it's really a safe place for our residents to engage with the larger community and vice versa for our, the larger community to really get to know our, our residents. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Vice President Hom. Yeah, yeah, perhaps staff was conferring on this question, but just a clarifying question. Um, first of all, um, the idea of being able to incorporate those five specific exceptions in the family agreement, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. The question I have is, you incorporate it in the development agreement, what happens if we don't revise these standards before the design review comes in? Does the, does the development agreement then allow for it to just still be a ministerial approval? Is that yes, what we're saying? Yes, that's, that's, that's the proposal yes, that's, that's on the floor. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I yeah, just no, want to. I think that would work great. Yes. Okay, I just want to clarify process-wise. Okay. And, and just to clarify, but even at that point, if there were some other standards, let's just say they put in palm trees, well, then that's going to trigger the discretionary review. Oh, okay, yeah. So don't do okay. palm trees. Stay yeah. away from the palm trees. Okay, totally, totally understood. <laughs> Any other board questions? Okay, I have a few um, project-specific questions. Um, one is Avenue B, a public or private street? It will be a public street. Thank you. Okay. And then um, on page 13, there are 17 rooms of shelter. Are they counted toward the unit counts? It appears not. Okay. No. That, it's our, is that standard practice not to count the shelters towards? Yeah, that's, that is not a permanent housing unit. It's a temporary shelter. Okay. All right. Thank you. On page 9. Um, are they all example the character examples that Mr. Simon um, sh showed? Are are they all affordable housing? Yes. Okay. Yes was um, the answer. They all affordable housing. Thank you. Are any of them? Um, do you have examples of any um, enclosed um, exterior stairs uh, in this package? I don't recall since. It, I know you're not asking for that waiver at this moment, but since it came up, do you have examples of? Uh, they're not in the look. package. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't planning. Wasn't planning on it. We we have lots of wonderful examples that I could provide, but I don't have them with me because I didn't think it was going to be approved tonight. Okay. Thank you. Um, those are. Let me see. Do I have any other questions? Sorry. Vice President Hall. Sorry, sorry. This is an unrelated design review. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of my questions. Uh, I know this might be just a small point. I, you know, you're talking about a community garden, which I think is a wonderful idea. Um, given the soil contamination out at Alameda Point, have we verified that the soil at this site is suitable for gardening and vegetables? I assume, I assume you have. I just want to ask the question. We have. Both the EPA has done testing, and we brought out independent uh, soil analysis from St. Mary's College to do it and, and show that it's safe. In addition to that, though, the, the soil that we use is highly amended, and in most cases at the new site, it'll be raised beds, okay. partly because you can get better soil in there and also because people with disabilities can use it much easier. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, any further board questions? Okay, that's open for public comments. Ms. <laughs> McCartney? Do we have one person with our hand up? Um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. We have one person with our hand up. Okay. 
Sean Wiskman. Oh, hi. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. You have three oh, minutes. Great. Okay, thank you. I won't take three minutes. My name is Sean Wiskman, um, Senior Vice President with Catalis Development Corporation, and we are I have been working with the city um, and the Reshape Partners in Midpen for a couple of years now on this project on the market rate side, and we really enjoyed our um, our time uh, working on this project. It's certainly a critical one. We we recognize um, that it's such a high priority for the city. Uh, we're doing our part, uh, and uh, but we couldn't be um, more proud to be part of this team and, and strongly support uh, what Reshape is doing, what the city is doing, um, and, and recommend um their approval of, of the development plan and, and uh, we're excited to be before you in a couple of weeks with our development plan for the market rate so we just wanted to put our strong support behind the reshape uh team and the city uh, this is a really important project and we're, we're happy to be a part of it so thank you and, and uh, thank you for your time that's all thank you any other speakers no other speakers thank you um now that's open for for comments board member teague um Thank you to the staff and applicant and everybody who's worked on this. Uh, this is, you know, this is one of the reasons why I joined the board is projects like this. Um, I fully am support of this. I'm fully in support of approving the development plan and uh, recommending that the city council uh, do the development agreement with those five items added as the, the wording as the city attorney recommended. Um, I, I want to see this built as quickly as possible. I want to remove the roadblocks uh, to getting it built. And I don't want to have any chain of events that have to happen in order for that to do. So that's why I'm really pushing hard to say, let's get it done tonight. Um, I know it came as a slight whiplash to some people in the audience, but uh, uh, that's, I'm, really happy about this and when we get to board communications with staff I'm going to be asking them about the Coast Guard housing project. Thank you. Thank you. That was a motion. Oh, do we have we have a motion on the table? Do we have a second? I'll second it. Okay. For further discussion, um, board member Cisnero followed by board member Curtis. You have your hand you don't have your hands up. Okay. Board member Cisnero and who and then Vice President yep. Hall. Just, so, I, wait, I wanna, wait, wait, wait. She goes first. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then you. Sorry. I uh, apologize. Process, process. process. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I just, um, you know, plus 100 to board member Teagues. I really appreciate the creative thinking to move this great project forward. So, just huge thanks to staff and to the applicants for their great work. And um, I, I would second the motion. And um, I do want to also say, though, um, I, I um, uh, appreciate the encouragement for us to think about this um, as um, at, when we get to the objective design standards to think of like what is appropriate for supportive housing and for housing for the homeless. So um, I, I do want us to uh, take that opportunity when the time comes, but um, I want to also leverage this existing opportunity. So um, yeah, with that, um, I'll second the motion. Any other board comments? Yeah, just wanted to echo um, board member Teague and board member Sonoris. This is, this is a wonderful project. It's, 
it's going to be exciting to see this project come to fruition. You know, I, I think the site plan is wonderful. I know it took a lot of years to get to what it has. It's very pedestrian oriented. I like that there's not really a through street that, that bisects the site, so that's very creatively done, while at the same time providing the on-street parking. And this has been, this is a wonderful collaboration between all these various nonprofit organizations to make this reach the point that it is. So I'm enthusiastically supporting this project. Any further board comments? Okay, so um, I am very appreciative of the site plan and appreciative of the effort that the city and the team has put forth. I do have concern about granting those waivers today because of the limited information that's provided in this package as you were not seeking those waivers today and we're trying to help to move the process along. I'm very concerned about the interface with the market rate and what the backside of the building would look like. Um, I understand that Mr. Simon's firm is very reputable and I know that if we, and I also have seen architects come and go on projects. So my question is, can we add in the condition so that if, if today this project is saying designed by Mr. Simon's firm, I have no doubt that all these five items will be addressed architecturally in, in design excellence. There's no doubt about that. That's the reputation of your firm. But I also know sometimes developers replace architects for many reasons. So is there any way we can build in a condition to know that we can, that can guarantee the design excellence? <laughs> so that, yes. I, I, I don't know of a way to build in a condition that a particular architect has to design the elevations or else it's discretionary review. Because uh, what I can say is you do have objective standards um, for But we're quality. waiving them tonight. No, you're only waiving these four. You are not waiving your objective standards. Right. So as you remember, your objective standards are several pages long. So four or five. Five. Huh? Five. Five. That's an, but that's it's five an, specific standards. Um, nothing. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you see my concern oh, I, about absolutely. The, the backside. If we're saying now that main entrance is all camp, camps of focus, which I understand and I get it. But still have your transparency requirements. You still have your all of your other objective standards that you they need to meet. That I think is the. Uh, assurance that ultimately ministerial review means it's it's approved by city staff not at a just public hearing I mean if 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 the staff doesn't believe that it meets the objective standards then they will have to punt it up to the planning board I just don't know how to do a condition of approval that specifies that it has to be a particular architect to answer your question more directly okay. um, and then um, so I know Mr. Biggs brought up um, density bonus waivers. That still has to go through discretionary hearing, right? They're not, no. I think They're what not. he was saying is he's, uh, it would have been very easy for any affordable housing developer to just say, oh, I'm just going to invoke density bonus and then I don't even have to ask. I'm just going to waive it. But as you remember from our conversations um, on housing element, I mean, we've, that's the way all projects were happening in Alameda when we, redid the housing element, we tried to change the zoning so that, that 
so that developers wouldn't be forced to go into invokes density bonus to do multifamily housing, to do good projects. Um, you, we did take care of those issues. This project does not need density bonus, does not need waivers, or does not need density bonus, does not need to invoke state density bonus to do this project because you amended the code to allow multifamily housing. Now, as Doug said, he, he could have still applied for it just to, to give him an, that would then he could just waive every objective standard if he wanted. Um, and so they chose, and we advised them not to do state density bonus and to just go through the, you know, go basically comply with our ordinances. Um, and if they needed a specific waiver, then ask for it. It looks like Ms. McIntyre is, is eager to. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I know you're not uh, interested in a blanket waiver, and we're actually not requesting blanket waiver requests. Um, so we've actually been working really closely with Andrew. So if the, if the city attorney is okay adding the language, we have it already drafted in really specific language. So for example, the um, unenclosed stairs, we had specific information about the condition that would be allowed. We're asking for this blanket to be waived and these very specific conditions to be allowed in, instead. Or for example, the 14 foot ground floor ceiling height for mixed use buildings, we had you know very specific uh, requesting 12 foot for floor to floor, if it's a type five wood frame building to limit the use of steel because of cost concerns and the specific buildings that we applied to. So we actually already have a list that's, we're not requesting blanket waivers, we're saying there's a little bit of a modification for these specific buildings, for these specific reasons, because it's affordable. So we have, if that would, might help address some of your concerns about it, it being blanket, for example. Yes. I, I would accept if we could use that list as our inclusion in the developer agreement. Is that possible, city attorney? You're asking if the developer- They're gonna provide the list. list. Yes, we can work, start okay. from there. Can't you just add it as an exhibit? Um, we'll need to take a look at the exact language and figure out how to how best to work it in, but it could be possible that an exhibit is and, the best way. And just to clarify, the way this will work, we'll work with the developer. What I'm hearing is make it as tight and as narrow as you can with help from, from mid-pen, and then what you'll see is that language will be included in the development agreement when it goes to council in, in June. So I want to brought things back to focus one one more time there's we have one approval that we need to do is approve the development plan correct right so that should be one then the other thing is recommendation to the development agreement then that's where these waivers go in in the recommendation so today here well we need we need a motion to approve the development that, that's the motion i made which okay. is to approve the development plan and to recommend to the city council the changes to the development agreement. Okay, so then that I want to make sure that because we don't have that exact verbiage in front of us, that we give the staff direction to build that into the development agreement. Not, but that doesn't affect what we're approving today in terms of the site plan. The site plan is there's no question about that, right? Yes. Um, uh, just this is the question comment that um, Board Member Curtis brought up. It seems to be ideal to incorporate these exceptions in both the development plan and the development agreement, perhaps. I'd, I'd throw that out to staff for, for clarity. 
It's fine to put them in both. Yeah. I mean, I think the key here is it's the putting them in the development agreement. It doesn't hurt to put them in both, but it's putting I, in the development agreement that helps. I wouldn't feel feel comfortable because there's so little information here. So, so in the development agreement, then, but not in the plan. Exactly. That's that's what that, my that's motion, what motion. That is. was my motion was. Yes, um, city attorney. Um, just a point of clarification: um, when we were talking about density bonus waivers, I I don't think that a number of these or any of them could be waivers because they're not physically precluding the development of additional units. Yeah, and this project that doesn't have a density yeah, we're bonus. Not proceeding right, that right. I know there's no application, but um, the idea that they could have come in and just waived all of those standards, I, I don't think that necessarily applies. I think they could have used an incentive or concession to waive no. or to yeah. forego, um, you know, a design review standard, but just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. So, Mr. Um, Board Member Teak, for my clarification, your m motion includes approved development plan as it is, yes. and recommend the City Council to approve development agreement, including the five specific waivers to be delineated between yes. per, between yes. City Attorney and the developer. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Thank you, President <laughs> Okay. And we have a second by board member Cisneros. Any further board member comments? Okay. Let's take a vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 No's? Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, planning board. Okay, let's move on to item number six, staff communications. Item six, A, planning, building, and transportation department recent action items and decisions. Do we have, go ahead. I can, uh, oh, I was ready to give the oral report for 6B. Okay. Do we have uh, any board member that, uh, that need, would like to pull anything? No? Okay. Moving on to item 6B, oral so, report. Yes. Um, so at your next planning board meeting, which is Monday the 22nd, um, we will come back with really part two of this project, but this would be the West Midway component. Um, as well as a, uh, a rezoning. It's a, a zoning cleanup for uh, a school district property. So we'll go through that. And then in June, we plan to come right back with the objective standards um, and specifically to talk about uh, standards as they apply to supportive housing, particularly situations where um, the housing is for previously unhoused or a demographic with special needs that the site or building design needs to cater to that population. So staff will bring back some um, proposals related to that. And so far we've already heard from the housing authority who has this issue, uh, reshape tonight, re again, um, having the same, uh, reflecting the same uh, need, as well as we've seen in a project like Dignity Village where it's already built, but that site is secured for similar reasons. 
When you do that, I would like to hear from the city attorney's office as terms of our ability to bifurcate the, de the objective design standards in that way. So I don't need it tonight, but I would like it then because it seems. Yeah, there's a question about whether you're setting different standards for different yes, projects. Yes, exactly. And so yeah, that's something we'll, we'll bring to you. Okay, um, board communications. As I alluded to in the beginning, what's going on with the affordable housing at near the Coast Guard housing, that project? What's going on there? Uh, I'm trying to think. Coast Guard housing. Oh, the... Um, the That was taken over and made into market housing, and then they wanted to build a big building in the middle, but adjacent to it is... Is the North housing? Is supportive you? housing, uh, all sorts of stuff. What's gone on with that? Right. So North Housing, you're talking about the North Housing site, which this planning board yeah. a year ago had approved a development plan and design review. Um, so that project is actually very active with the first phase, which is a supportive housing and senior housing. Um, there's actually, good news is there's actually a lot of money out there for affordable housing projects. Um, that project is currently near completion of building plan check and uh, are, is hoping to start construction hopefully later this year. And right now they're going through um, grants and obtaining, you know, just the, the stages of getting the money. So there's, yeah, that's, that's where that project is. And then um, there's a corner site, which is um, the, the applicant, there's uh, Habitat for Humanities, and that application also just came in recently. So we'll be seeing that soon, or is that going to be a ministerial? That, I believe, will be ministerial review under SB 35, so it will not be coming to the board. It will be okay. done I'm just hoping they ask for more housing than they did when they first came. It's still around a 68-unit project. so But that would be family housing and not supportive housing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, any other board communications? Okay. Moving on to uh, item number eight, non-agenda public comments. Do we have any public speakers? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. We have someone with a raised hand. Okay, could you please elevate them? I call their name. Liz Varela. Liz Varela. I'm not getting any response. They're not here. You have to click the left. Ms. Perella, would you like to address the board? Liz Varela, would you like to speak? I'm going to ask staff upstairs and see if there's anything 
they can do to verify that the speaker oh, is alive. I'm getting a alive. message. She declined to be promoted to a panelist. Oh, okay. okay. So they declined. Okay. So um, with that said, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.